to Totalus Rankium. This week, William H. Harrison, part two. Hello, and welcome to American President's Election Special, Totalus Rankium. <laughs> I am you? Jamie. You're Jamie, great. And I'm Rob, ranking all of the presidents from Washington to Trump. And yes, Election Special, we're recording this on Tuesday, yeah. the 6th of November 2018, for those listening in the future. It's the midterms. Yes. So if yeah. you're listening to this the weekend, which is when it's released, congratulations or commiserations. Yeah. But to both parties, you know, good luck. It's like my new jumper, it's blue. Oh, yes, yes, it's a lovely, lovely blue jumper. Lovely blue jumper. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's a nice blue watch as well, Rob. Here's a good blue watch. I'm, I'm looking at my watch trying to figure out the uh, date. No, no, it's the time. It's um, it's five o'clock, which is what in America? Uh, it depends where you are. Well, yeah. Uh, well, Coast. polls opened at six, which would be 11 o'clock our time this morning. So they've right, been open okay. for about six hours now. So, oh, there you go. That's rooting you into the now when we're recording. But we're not in the now in our story. Nope. No, we're in the past. <gasps> because we need to finish off Harrison. Yes. Um, not in an Al Pacino sort of way. No, no. We no. don't need to make sure he has a happy retirement or anything like that. That just sounds rude. It does. It does. <laughs> I'm yeah. guessing not a great presidency because everyone's sort of laughing and going, he doesn't know. <laughs> so I'm guessing he's terrible, but... You never know. He might be a hidden gem. Let's find the the the, the beautifulness of of him. Harrison. Yes. Well, I tell you now, um, Jerry Landry, who does the Presidency's podcast, yeah, did an entire series based on Harrison, forty odd episodes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Must be something there. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, let's find out. Okay. Be, so, are they short episodes or long episodes? I mean, uh, about half an hour each, I think. Yes, I said twenty hours of talking yeah. about yeah. Harrison. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. So there you go. Anyway. Recap, just in case you've forgotten. Thank you. Harrison, uh, he didn't become a doctor. He became an officer in the army. He fought a couple of battles. He got married. He became the governor of the Northwest and uh, defeated the Prophet in the Battle of Tippecanoe. Tippecanoe. Yeah. Tippecanoe. And, and then the war broke out. Yes. Yes, it did. And there you go. That's your recap. Is that enough? Yeah, I'll do. Yeah. It was only a week ago for you, so it should be fresh in your mind. Right, so, the War of 1812. The War. Yes. It was a bad war. You weren't there, man. You weren't there. All those Canadians burning down the White House. <laughs> so you do remember. Good. Yeah. 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 Good, right. Um, we've looked at this war a few times, obviously, through, for example, Madison's eyes. Yeah. Monroe's eyes. John Quincy Adams and yeah. his eyes. And to them, the war was very much against the British. Yeah. Even Jackson, who spent most of his time fighting Native Americans during the war, is more known for his fight against the British. Yeah. Harrison, however, he's in the West. And yes, there are British involved, but the people in the West more saw the War of 1812 as a war against Native Americans. who okay. were allied with the British. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, we kind of see it through his eyes a bit. This Slightly time. equivalent in the World War One, the Western and Eastern fronts. Yeah, like exactly. You, it's like you, there's a big war going on, but you're focused on the people you're trying to kill. Definitely. <laughs> and eviscerate. Yes. Uh, nice. So, yeah, so Harrison, um, once war breaks out... After a while, not straight away, quits being the governor of the Northwest Territory to dedicate his time to the army. Now, we simply don't have time today to go through everything he did in the army. That's what the Harrison podcast is for. Nice. Go and check that out. Yeah, but we'll, uh, we'll sum up what he did. So things were not looking good to begin with, in general, for America in the war. General Hull 
had a disaster and surrendered Detroit to the British. Oh dear. Yeah, so we had Detroit for a while. Oh, yeah. Michigan, nice. Yeah, that was nice. There's generally a sense that someone who knows what they're doing really is needed up there in the Northwest. It does uh, help, doesn't it? It really does. In the meantime, Harrison was given command of the Kentucky State Militia. So he's in charge of a militia, and he was told, go and aid Detroit. They need your help up there. So a militia is sort of like an untrained army. Yes, exactly. With pitchforks and a few guns. Yeah, and we've obviously moved on from the Revolutionary War, but there's still very much a sense that republics have militias. Yeah. Dictatorships and monarchies have standing armies. You don't need a standing army if you're a democracy because everyone will want to fight. To protect it. Yes, and somehow everyone will magically be trained yeah. yeah. Spirit alone will make you aim, <laughs> aim your gun well. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, Harrison goes forth with his militia, who were, as you rightly point out, um, a bit rough around the edges. And by this point, the Northwest was in a bit of a mess. And panic is sweeping the region. Law and order is falling apart. Fighting breaking out all over the place, officially and unofficially. Okay. It did not help that, at this point, the internal politics of the US forces erupted to the surface. So uh-huh. the Americans and the officers in the American army and the militias were busy playing one-upmanship with each other. <laughs> Look how great I am. Yeah. Look at the size of my cannon. I should be in charge of all these people. Yeah. And not you. Yeah. yeah. Check out my massive cannonballs. Yeah, that's what they said. So a man named Winchester was in charge of the army. How is he not British? <laughs> I know. Hello, I'm Winchester. They are still very British. This is early are on you, still. You American? <laughs> I'm as American as apple pie. <laughs> Tally hair. Yeah, they need surnames like Operation Death Trail or something. <laughs> that sounds yeah. American, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> George Gunsplatter. That, that works even better. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, Winchester. Did he have a pencil moustache? I think he had a pencil moustache. Definitely very tall, quite lanky. Yeah. Overly friendly. Yeah. Just very British. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> Frowns upon swearing, that sort of thing. Yeah, okay. That that can be Winchester. That might be true. Who knows? What we do know is that he was in charge of the army in the Northwest. Okay. So not the militia, the army. But he had some Kentucky militiamen under his command at this time. Nice. And who's in charge of the Kentucky militia? Harrison. Harrison. So yeah, those two uh, butt heads a little bit. Harrison came along and said, um, these men here, I'll uh, just take those off your hands. Thank you very much, Winchester. They're <gasps> under my command. And Winchester, not too happy about that. I think I overly plied. Oh, I, I, I think you're misunderstood there. I believe yeah, they're my army. But slightly red at the cheeks. Yes, and... You could tell he was furious. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Politely furious. Well, to cut a long story short here, because I, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole with this and then realised, hang on, we don't need to know all the details of this. We just need to know they fell out. Okay. Yeah. Winchester managed to get some support and got word that, yes, he was definitely superior to Harrison, so he could keep the men... But that only lasted a few days because Harrison was working his own magic and was promoted to Major General in the regular army. Yeah. So he now outranked Winchester. So they, they were politically manoeuvring each other. Harrison comes out on top. Oh, Harrison, I'm so pleased of your new rank. Yeah. Red in the face. The, the wine glass he's holding just shatters. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or the teacup. Teacup. Yeah. Teacup in one hand, sherry glass in the other. Oh. Both shatter. Yeah. But face doesn't change. No, still a broad smile. Yeah. (laughs) 
So Harrison splits his forces into three and marches north, burning the villages of the Miamis. Remember them from last week? Yeah. Yeah. But not named after the state or named because the state wasn't named after them. It's spelled differently, wasn't it? No, it's spelled the same. City, not state. Yeah, that's what I meant. (laughs) Um, Because something was named differently, but it wasn't based on them. And it was... Yeah. 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 There you go. You remember. See, I know stuff. Yeah. If you also remember that Miamis were the ones that said to to come say, uh, could you not move here? please we're kind of using this oh he's moved him yeah yeah so that's my favorite tree so they were unhappy anyway they were less happy when harrison marched through their land burning down all their villages well that's not gonna cheer you up is it yeah i mean the miamis were known to be allies of the u.s but harrison wanted to make sure that supply lines were kept and no subterfuge went on fair enough but you don't shoot your enemy in the back do you yeah no sorry don't shoot your friends in the back (laughs) no (laughs) I don't think you're supposed to shoot your enemy in the back either. But well, that's the safest way. Yeah, it's the Surely. safest way. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're heading north. They're off to, to meet the British and Comsey's forces, who, remember, were scattered at the end of the last episode. It's yes. taken them a while, but they're starting to get back together now. Uh, things are very grim, though. It's winter. Everyone's cold and hungry. Harrison had inherited a force that was poorly disciplined and near mutinous. Mm-hmm. There was a lack of blankets, few boots... Not many tents, just generally a lack of anything that you actually need to keep morale high. But you just know there's one git there with like one of those weighted blankets <laughs> that everyone wants, but like £170, like $300 each yeah. for a blanket. And there's just one git there with it while everyone else like standing and shivering in the rain and snow. South heating thermos flask oh, as well. Yeah. Just has to crack the bottom. Oh, yeah. Chemicals do their work. And it's reusable, it's even yeah. worse. Yeah. And little glove warmers. Yeah. What an ass. Yeah. But everyone else, shivering, freezing, yeah. hungry, near mutiny. Harrison wasn't the only person finding things out, because Winchester, who was in charge of one of the three columns of his forces, I don't know the military yeah, term. Yeah, Columns, sections. Wings. Wings. Yeah, uh, bits. 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 <laughs> yeah. So... Winchester was in charge of one of the bits of the army. Um, (laughs) It's good. Sounds official. (laughs) Uh, And the bit that he was leading Mm. really got close to mutiny. I mean, they they were about to go full on. Wow. Yeah. Uh, But fortunately, just as they're about to pick up their rifles and march off, a delivery of hogs arrived and everyone was happy again. Is it because they think they're cute or because it's food? Food. Oh, or maybe, oh. no, I just read Delivery of Hogs, so maybe they just thought they were cute and it took their mind off. Or maybe they're like oh. little micro-hogs oh. and everyone's allowed to keep Te- one. Teacup pigs. Yeah. yeah. But well, they think they are, then they grow up and they're like massive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 800-pound. That's why for years afterwards you just saw vets walking around the land with a massive hog yeah. following them. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, my point being... Things are very miserable in the army. So, Winchester, leading his bit of the army, actually arrives at the meeting point first. The idea is that all bits would rendezvous, so they become a big bit again. Oh, he'd been so smug at that. Yeah. He wouldn't wouldn't show it, but inside. Well, whilst he was waiting for Harrison and the other column to arrive... (laughs) Bit. Sorry, bit, to arrive. The third bit. um, He decided to go to a nearby village called Frenchtown. What was it like there? Um, Sad. (laughs) <laughs> because it was occupied by the British. Oh. Yeah, and uh, people weren't very happy. So the plan was to push the British back, reclaim the town for America. And Winchester thought, this will be fine. Argo pushed back the small force that holds French town. Harrison, by that point, will catch up, reinforce me, we'll hold the town, I'll look brilliant. 
tally-ho. What could possibly go wrong? Nothing at all. Well, unfortunately, Harrison and his bit was delayed. Oh, knew it. Yeah. So once Winchester took Frenchtown, the British and Native American reinforcements arrived before Harrison did. Oh. Yeah. Winchester looked around and realised his bit was actually quite small. Oh. <laughs> Which is a shame. Um, yeah, he really needed Harrison's he to help him out. Bigger bit to... Yeah. yeah, exactly. He was captured and his troops oh. surrendered. The British then, part of their manoeuvres, retreated and left the American forces under the charge of the Native American forces they were allied with. And these forces were led by none other than Tecumseh. Uh, who was not personally present at the time, but nearby. So the American forces, about 500 of them, were taken, rounded up, and then between 30 and 100 of the US prisoners were brutally murdered. Oh. Yeah, in what became known as the Raisin River Massacre. Why? Uh, just because the Native American troops were pretty annoyed with the US troops and... Wanted to wreak some revenge, I imagine. I guess that's sort of fair, because they've had it done enough to them, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's something that needs to be remembered with the fights between Native Americans Mm. and the US forces. Neither side were pleasant to each other. No. When the actual fighting started, both sides were ruthless. Yeah. Yeah, this was quite horrific. There were reports of injured soldiers being burnt alive in buildings. Yeah, it's... uh, Quite nasty, although it should be said these reports did come from the US side, so perhaps exaggerated, but... But not beyond the realms of possibility. Certainly not, no. Yeah, some nasty stuff definitely happened. Oh dear. Tecumseh apparently found out about the treatment of the US prisoners and immediately rushed to the scene to put a stop to it. (laughs) A bit too late. Yeah, I mean, Tecumseh uh, was bright enough to realise that this was a bad idea. It's not a good PR move. (laughs) It's not a good PR move at all. But yeah, like you say, he's too late. The US now had a rallying cry and justification for any violence against the Native Americans for the rest of the war and beyond. Okay. Yeah, this was used as an excuse for violence against Native American people for a very Mm, long time. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Harrison carries on with the war. He does quite well. For quite a while, his forces were able to push forward and retake Detroit. So Britain lost Detroit, unfortunately. Oh. Yeah. And then, more importantly, managed to overtake the retreating British and Tecumseh and got to the River Thames. Like, That's re- a hell of a... <laughs> yeah, really overtook. <laughs> Some would argue overshot. <laughs> no, this is obviously the River Thames in North America. Ah, I was confused for a yeah. moment. Thank you for clarifying. It's just picturing them there. Some of them said, sir, sir that, that's Big Ben. I think we've gone too far. I think you'll find it's the Elizabeth Tower. So yes, the Battle of the River Thames takes place. Things looked good for Harrison at the start of the battle. After all, he had 3,500 troops to the British slash Native American troops, 1,300. Ooh. So, more than double. Nice. It's a good place to be. Yeah. The British forces quickly decided that these were not fun odds to play with. <laughs> so, um... They tactically retreated. Yes. Or ran away. <laughs> Screaming, going, my God, we're all going to die. Run for your life. Save yourself. Yeah, I have a feeling it's closer to the second, to be honest. But yep. uh, I suppose it depends how you look at it. Their Native American allies, however, stayed on the field. Ooh. Yeah. That's around 500 men. Oh, dear. Yeah. This is very much 
a last stand. Mm. You will be shocked to learn that Tecumseh's 500 men were destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, Tecumseh himself was killed, although we don't know who or when or where. Gun shot. In Canada, near the River Thames. Yeah. Probably just a gunshot from a soldier. Um, mm. But we're not 100% certain. This question does come up later, though, when Harrison's campaigning. We do know that a mutilated body was dragged in front of Harrison for him to identify. Obviously, Harrison <laughs> knew what Tecumseh looked like. <laughs> things went, ew. Well, pretty much, yeah. The US soldiers had been tearing off strips of his skin uh. as souvenirs. Uh. Yeah, horrified Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> um, just refused to let it be identified as Tecumseh because he had no idea of whether it was him or not. But it took him back to his uh, old doctoring days. <laughs> yes, quite possibly. Anyway, to celebrate this victory, the US forces then burnt down a nearby Native American town, Moravian Town. This was a town belonging to a tribe of Christian Native Americans who were not part of the war. People are horrible. People are horrible, yeah. So that happened. The Native American resistance that had been building under Tecumseh and his brother fell apart. Oh dear. The Native Americans would never really ever be able to fight back in such numbers again. Oh dear. Yeah. Incidentally, Tecumseh's brother, the Prophet, survived the war. He lived on. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, it kind of fades into obscurity, though. His influence with the Shawnee, so his own tribe, yeah. kind of peters away yeah. after the war. He ends up dying in Kansas in 1836. Oh. Yeah. That's three years before Elizabeth Tower was built. <laughs> in London. Yes, yes, it was. That's possibly what he was thinking on his deathbed. I never got to see it complete. <laughs> yes. See, now I need to keep that bit in the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just don't, just cut it out as well. No, I'll leave it in, and right. people just <laughs> have a clue why you've said that <laughs> until yeah. the end. <laughs> nice, I like it. Anyway, when news of Tecumseh's death reached the capital, Harrison was elevated to full national hero status. Yeah, he got a badge and everything. Oh, yes. And a hat. Yeah, by the end of the war, he was second only to Jackson in the public's imagination. Wow, really? Yeah. Uh, Jackson saved the day down south, and Harrison saved the day up north. Nice. However, unlike Jackson, who carried on fighting after the war, Harrison didn't even make it to the end of the war. He had a falling out with the Secretary of War, at the time Armstrong. Right. Now, we've come across him before. I recognise the name. Yeah. Uh, if you remember, Monroe also fell out with Armstrong. Yeah. He's the one, when Madison kept asking him for advice, he kept saying happy things like, Oh no, we're <laughs> screwed. Run <laughs> <laughs> away. The British are coming, we can't fight that. Yeah. Um, he hasn't gone down in history very well as Armstrong. Oh dear. And uh, Harrison wasn't too pleased with him either. Now, the reason why Harrison and Armstrong fell out, we're not 100% certain, but it could be just as, as simple as Armstrong wanting Harrison to move aside so he could give some positions to his friends. Yeah. Whatever the reason, Armstrong made a beeline for Harrison, making sure that everything under Harrison was audited thoroughly. Ooh, like yeah. How many guns, how many pellets you've got. Yeah. Basically, Harrison woke up one day to find an army of people with clipboards. Oh, that's like the worst thing ever. He, he can fight the British and the Native Americans, but not the auditors. No. No. They're like the worst people ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because they don't take sob stories. No, they really don't. So I, I did have a piss. It was here yes, yesterday. Yeah. I must have lost it. It belonged <laughs> to my mother. Don't say anything. They just make a mark on their clipboard. Or they put the green pen down, get the red pen out. Oh, click. yes. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, 
Harrison had enough of this. As you would. As you would. Armstrong also then rearranged the structure of command in the army, and oh, look, Harrison suddenly had less power than he had before. Oh, less that. of a command. Nothing could be done, though, Harrison, honestly. It's just a reshuffle. <laughs> yeah. Starting to get fed up with this game of politics, Harrison decided to go all in. He sent a letter of resignation to President Madison. Some historians feel that this was a bluff. Hmm. Write directly to Madison, say, that's it, I quit, because Armstrong's a tit. (laughs) Direct quote there. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, hoping, obviously, to get the president to to weigh in. Yeah. No, no, of course you can't resign. No. And uh, pull Armstrong back a bit. However, if this was the plan, it backfired miserably. Oh, dear. Yeah, because Armstrong intercepted the letter of resignation and gleefully wrote back to Harrison, accepting it on Madison's behalf. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. That's awful. Imagine the day he received that letter. Ah, <laughs> son of a... <laughs> yeah. When Madison found out, perhaps to soothe some feathers, Harrison was given the job of negotiating peace treaties with the Native American tribes. <laughs> you know how he slaughtered your <laughs> Yeah. Not an enviable job. Well, Harrison, remember, is uh, actually quite good with negotiations. Yeah. That's what he's been doing for years out there, so it's a sensible choice. You'll not be shocked to learn, however, that these treaties, these peace treaties, included a lot of ceding of large portions of land. Oh, is this where they, like, got other tribes to okay things and then just took it? Yeah, more of that happened. That. Yeah, yeah, continuation. Remember, this is also at the same time that Jackson was doing the same. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it was... The war was used to move a lot of tribes on. Anyway, the war then ends, as we've seen before. Harrison finishes up his negotiations. He's no longer governor. So he moves back to his log cabin in Ohio. Remember he had a log cabin? Yeah, he kept mentioning that. He said, log cabin, remember this? Remember it, yeah. reiterating it. So he's gone back to it. He's 41 at this point, just to give you a sense of how old he is. What is it with a log cabin? You'll find out in this episode, don't worry. Tell me now. No! Anyway, he wrote to a friend <laughs> to say that he saw his life as settled now. He's in Ohio. He's got his wife and nine children up to this point. Nine? Yeah. Oh, he gets more? Ten in total. Wow. Yeah. Plus two children of men who he had served with during the war. How is that, like, physically possible? No, n- not Harrison and the men. It's not their children. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Things aren't quite that progressive in the 18- early 1800s. Biologically weird. No, these these are children who are orphaned because of the war. So he's adopted them. Yeah, he's taken them in. So yeah, the house that they're in, full of life. Yes. Imagine now they're just like kids tearing around. He's looking very tired. Yeah. (laughs) The war was easier than this. (laughs) Less blood. (laughs) Right, go on then. Let's talk about the log cabin. Yes! So the house they're in was the original log cabin. So you're picturing a log cabin. Yeah. Now, originally, yes, it was made of logs, but it was a big log cabin. Like a grandiose sort of... Because well, this isn't the stately home he had built. No, no, it's not yeah. on that scale, but it's a, it was a decent log cabin. Yeah. Now, however, it's unrecognisable. Yes, technically the logs are still there, but you can't see them. Everything's been plastered over and extended and rebuilt to create a 16-room mansion with <laughs> gardens and orchids. Two very large halls... And an extensive kitchen. So this log cabin, he still called it a log cabin. Well, no, 
but it will come back. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I live in a humble log cabin. You're starting to get the idea, though, yes. Nice. But don't picture a log cabin at all. Okay. I mean, we're not talking Virginian mansion size. No. We're not even talking the size of his uh, governor house that he built, but it's still a sizable house. Big as your house? <laughs> Bigger than my house. Bigger than your house. Bigger than pretty much any house in England because all our houses are small compared to American houses. True. Because we don't have as much room. That's true. Yeah. I mean, if I just stretch my arm right now, I'm into your neighbour's living room. That's weird. Yeah, it's weird. Hey, Sue! <laughs> She's a fan. <laughs> she has to. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Harrison, like Washington a few decades before, found his home turning into a sort of hotel tourist attraction. He was a war hero and he was at home. People want to see him, want to rub shoulders with him, maybe get a mention, you know. Yeah, Try exactly. to make it look good. And unlike Jackson, he didn't terrify people, so people would <laughs> actually turn up. And... He doesn't sharpen his pistols. Yeah, dinner. exactly. Uh, and I quote here, Harrison kept an open table with every visitor welcome. Aww. So you turned up, you were fed, you were ha- housed. That's nice. It was nice. Apparently, a whole ham was eaten every single day by family and guests. Just a pen of really nervous-looking pig on yeah. the back. I'm sure that was an example of how much food was eaten, but I'd like to think it was actually a challenge. <laughs> the Harrison eating challenge. <laughs> no one leaves the room until the entire ham's gone. You've got one hour. Go! <laughs> Children just prayed for visitors, otherwise they... <laughs> yeah. It was just the 11 of them, and they had to finish yeah. the whole ham. <laughs> Who wants the nipples? <laughs> Simpler times. So anyway, yeah, Harrison's got a lot on his plate, not just the ham. Uh, <laughs> he's got all of these dependents that are, are looking to him to provide. Mm. So he attempts to get into business. Remember his business ventures from last time? Wasn't he not very good at them? Yeah, he didn't do too well. This they time, just collapsed. Yeah, yeah. This time, however, he invests in various things, a foundry, an export company, for example. Um, yeah, they, they all come to nothing. Still. Still, yeah. I was going to say, because you sound like a positive and say, is, is, is it because of his name carries more weight now? Uh, no. Oh, OK. <laughs> no, these just don't work out. Yeah, money soon becomes a real problem. He's the kind of person, if he's alive now, he'd put all his money into those uh, like startup campaigns, wouldn't he? Yeah, exactly. Tea mugs that call you tea. <laughs> yes, that's what he'd invest in. Yeah, he was uh, forced to borrow against his land to maintain the style of life that his family and himself had now become accustomed to. Uh, Yeah, so he needed cash, basically. And he was very busy. Uh, He was the most prominent citizen in Ohio, by far. Uh, So he was constantly going off to open this building or giving a speech at that event and just generally being a bit of a celebrity. Mm. Hardly surprisingly, it was only a matter of time before he was elected to Congress. This came just in time for Harrison. He had heard that certain people in the Capitol were besmirching his name, trying to stop him from getting a gold medal for his service (gasps) in the army. So, uh, yeah, he managed to turn up to defend himself and it did just the trick. Harrison was awarded his gold medal, which is nice. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who got the silver and the bronze, but Harrison got the gold. Good. Yeah. So, so he should. Yeah. He also spent his time successfully pushing for pensions for the widows and children of men who had died fighting in the oh, war. Oh, that's really lovely. Yeah, yeah. Because you can imagine some families just being destroyed because of that. Yeah, definitely. No breadwinner now. Yeah, Harrison became the, the go-to guy for, for this. If you had someone who died in the war and you were struggling, Harrison was the man to talk oh. to. See, that's the trouble. If, if he's doing those progressive things now, when he's president, I can imagine him being quite popular with people. Well, we'll see, we'll see. 
He also wanted military training for all men in America. <laughs> Makes sense rather than relying on militias. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, anyone who's come into contact with a militia so far in US history, he soon realised that militias were awful. And after all, he pointed out, this is what the Romans did. High five. Yeah, remember he was Roman obsessed. Oh, yes. Got his yeah. throw book in his pocket. Yeah, they conquered the world with their citizens well-educated in military matters. Everyone nodded wisely and high-fived. Isn't that a bit of a, a, a romanticised view, though? I mean, well, yeah, I was about to point out it's not actually true. No. <laughs> <laughs> the Romans did not train all the men in military matters whatsoever. But that sense was that the Romans were much better at this than we are. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't give Jeff a sword, would you? Yeah, exactly. So anyway, he does that for a while, and then his term is up. And he returns home, not seeking re-election. Instead, he was appointed to the state senate, which is a much less demanding job. <laughs> for one, he could stay at home. Nice. Yeah. Harrison was clearly not in the mood for retirement, though, because he ran for state governor. Okay. And lost. Uh, and then ran for the House of Representatives. And lost. Uh, but it's fine, because then he ran again. And lost. <laughs> He, he's not doing well, is he, with his whole, his whole uh, yeah. trying to achieve? You, you can imagine that an eye has started to twitch slightly. <laughs> Eventually, however, he was elected to the US Senate as a representative for Ohio. Once back in the Capitol, he was a supporter of the then-president John Quincy Adams. So we've got John Quincy Adams now. now. If you remember, John Quincy Adams was saying some crazy stuff, <laughs> such as, perhaps the government should build some roads we could do with some infrastructure in this country. It's a bit of a mess, guys. Trust me, I've been to Europe. And most people were saying, no, you're talking crazy talk. Yeah. It's an infringement on, on our rights. Yeah, you can't tell us states what to do. Exactly. It should be independent of yeah. government. Then this was a problem. Exactly. Uh, Harrison fully supported John Quincy's point of view. Yeah, he liked the idea of government helping to build roads. After all, Ohio was still mostly mud tracks and really could use some help. That's weird, isn't it? It's like, socially, it's like a weird mix of... You get the government genuinely trying to make the country better. Yeah. But you also get that deep-rooted suspicion... Yes, exactly. autocracy and control. Which is why American politics is still like it is today. They never got rid of this suspicion. Yeah. Anyway, I've got a quote from Harrison here about building roads. I have seen a great deal of human misery, but I have never seen it in any shape which touched my heart in a greater degree than in the emigrants to the western country before the Cumberland Road was constructed, said the man who had seen several battles and ordered the burning down of numerous villages. <laughs> he saw Tecumseh unrecognisable. <laughs> yeah. With skin flayed from his body. Yeah. And someone the bit inconvenient with a mud track. <laughs> oh. Well, it is, that's, it's political. Yes, thing, of though, course. Yeah, definitely. And he does have a point, even if it is slightly hyperbole. Um, <laughs> it's it's very hard to get anything done when there's no roads. It's true. How are you going to drive your two-by-four down there? Exactly. Your log of wood. <laughs> yes. But that's not all he's getting up to. Whilst he's in Washington, he was also attempting to get a better job for himself, one that actually paid some decent money. Because he's broke. But he's part of Congress. I guess there's a lot of outgoings, though. Yeah, lots of outgoings, and the pay Especially wasn't that pigs. great. He needed something a bit better. Yeah. So, he attempted to become the vice president. Ooh. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that doesn't work. No, it really didn't. Uh, he, did, he didn't manage that. Instead, he went for a diplomatic position. Okay. To Mexico. That didn't work out either. Okay. Yeah. Um, but way. then, Colombia. That one works. Ah. John Quincy Adams wrote, and I quote here... 
This person's thirst for lucrative office is absolutely rabid. Vice President, Major General, Minister to Columbia for each of these places, he has been this session as hot in pursuit as a hound on the scent of a hare. John Quincy Adams also wrote that Harrison was lively and active, but, and I quote, shallow-minded. Yeah, he wants a position without sort of knowing what he's doing. He needs the money, is why oh, he's doing it. yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, he yeah. needs a decent paid job. So by Columbia, do you mean the state or the country? The country. Oh, that's very nice, I've been there. It's a very new country. I get, yeah, I get rid of it. It's not Columbia as it is today. This is what's known as Grand Columbia. It's very, not very, very warm. <laughs> yes, it would be. Yeah, Lots of parrots. Grand Columbia is an area that covers modern Colombia, obviously. Venezuela, Ecuador, Panama, parts of Peru, little bit of Brazil. It was a big, sprawling country. Oh, nice. On the north of the Southern American continent. It's a classic country with a territory back then. Oh, no, no, it's just become a country. Oh, wow. It's a okay. new country. Oh, they lose all the land, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was the most prestigious country in South America, and many at the time saw it as destined to grow in the same way that the United States had. It was seen as the next big country to emerge. It's got great, it's got, you know, part of the rainforest area, it's got, you've got that stuff there, you've got rivers, you've got oh, yeah. a lot of, it's in prime position. The potential was definitely there. It was currently ruled by the revolutionary Simon Bolivia, which, uh... Bolivia's named after. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, he had led the country to freedom against the Spanish. He was the, the Colombian George Washington. Nice. Yeah. Which some might dispute, but I'm just going to say anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's the Colombia we're talking about here. Nice. And he might want the job, but um, John Quincy Adams wasn't too keen and didn't want to give him the position. However, finally, after lots of badgering from supporters of Harrison, John Quincy Adams gives in. Fine. But states, and I quote here, Harrison wants the Columbia mission much more than it wants him. <laughs> well, I've got this like weird sense of doom just always following <laughs> Harrison around. It's really weird. It's like he can never really achieve anything. <laughs> it's really odd. Well, Harrison and his 18-year-old son and this cloud of uh, portent... <laughs> arrive in Colombia in December 1828 after spending nearly a year travelling. It took them a very long time to get there. Wow. Yeah, they survived a storm at sea and then had to spend 40 days trekking through the Andes. Um, it oh. was a long, arduous journey. Harrison yeah. was most upset that his silverware had not managed to survive the journey. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> That's disappointing. That is disappointing. I'm sure all his... Uh... All these slaves thought the same. Yes, sir, we are sorry that you lost all your silverware. Tragic. My heart breaks. Bernard died, but silverware. No, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, he's my father, but don't worry about it. He was holding the silverware when he went over the cliff, but no, <laughs> that's fine. You concentrate on the silverware, sir. Anyway, eventually... Him and his son make it to the capital. He rented a large house and was soon making diplomatic friendships. He set up a vegetable garden, which is nice. I can imagine all the confused looks from the Colombians at the time. So, what's he doing? <laughs> well, no, no, they were very impressed, apparently. For a while, whenever there was a big stately dinner put on, uh, they'd call around Harrison's house and ask for some vegetables. He grew a fine turnip, apparently. Possibly, I've made that part up, but I'm going to say he did. Do turnips grow in Colombia? I don't know. They're like wet or cold or whether, don't they? Like yeah. Vegetables. You don't, don't know. Peppers. Peppers, yes. Let's Chilies. Say peppers. No, it's chilli. Oh, yeah. We're in Colombia. Idiot. <laughs> 
So there he is in his vegetable garden, uh, starting to think about how he could best achieve his diplomatic goals. He's got to start making uh, the right moves in the right circles. Yes. Get to know the right people. Figure out what's going on with the government of Colombia. But Harrison could not help but feel that this southern country was not actually doing too well. He'd heard good things, but when he got there and he looked around, there was a lot of talk of mutiny and treason in the air. Harrison was not entirely convinced that the hero Bolivia was actually a hero at all, but potentially a dictator in the making. Then, in March of 1829, this is four months after arriving in Colombia, Jackson became president. Yeah, okay. And one of the very first things he did was replace Harrison. Oh. Like, literally days after he became president. First thing he did? Yeah, pretty much it was the first thing he did. The speed in which he fired his fellow war hero led me to accuse Jackson of pettiness. You just don't like him because he's also a war hero. You just want to get rid of him. And that may well have been. The two men had not really crossed paths much before. Uh, There was one incident that would have struck with Jackson, though. Do you remember in his episode, he had two British men executed in Florida? Yeah! And you remember how he overturned the findings of his own kangaroo court? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and then just had them both killed. Well, this issue hit the floor of Congress when Harrison was in Congress, and most people voted to censure Jackson for the deaths. Yeah. So, to tell him off officially. The minority decided not to. It's fine, he's allowed to do that. Only one person did something different, and that was Harrison. He censured Jackson for one of the deaths, but not the other. He made the point that the court had actually issued a death sentence to one of the men. Yeah. Um, So that's fine. Uh, It's okay. But the one that wasn't sentenced to death and then was executed, that shouldn't have happened. He was making a... A A logical point. A logical point. Um, Perhaps it would have been better just to say, no, Jackson, you can't do that. Yeah. (laughs) But he was making making a point. What this did do was really make Harrison's name stick out to Jackson. Yeah. Oh, that guy. Yeah, fire him. (laughs) Yeah. When Harrison's replacement arrived in Colombia shortly afterwards, Harrison sent a letter to Bolivia, giving him some friendly advice on how not to become a dictator. (laughs) Well, I'm sure that was well received. (laughs) Well, I'll quote her. Are you willing that your name should descend into posterity amongst the mass of those whose fame have been derived from shedding human blood without a single advantage to the human race? Or shall it be united to that of Washington as the founder and father of a happy and great people? In other words, you really need to be more like us. More like the civilised folk. Yeah, pretty much, said said the diplomat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Harrison, after sending this letter, then went on a bit of a sightseeing tour before heading home, but was horrified to learn that the Colombian government had accused him of plotting with insurrectionists. Yeah. Perhaps (laughs) that letter didn't go down too well. (laughs) Perhaps not. You never know. It's hard to say. (laughs) Just an image of Bolivia weaving it. (laughs) Kill him. Eyes narrowing. (laughs) slowly crumpling the paper as he reads. Yeah. Anyway, Harrison realised perhaps it was time to leave the country. Yeah, he managed to gain passage on a merchant ship heading for New York after being stranded for a few weeks, not being able to find a way home. Yeah, he was trying to get out. (laughs) Harrison was so grateful to the captain of the ship that the captain received an invite to his inauguration address when he became president years later. Oh, yeah. That's nice. It is. Harrison's full of these nice little touches. Yeah. Yeah. And full of old ears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Weird. 
Anyway, he arrives home in Ohio 19 months after leaving with nothing whatsoever to show for it. Apart from a few stories of a vegetable garden and fleeing the Colombian government, and a pet macaw, a parrot. Oh! Yeah, so from now on, you are officially allowed to picture Harrison with a parrot on his shoulder. Yes! Yes, because he's got one. Has it got a name? Oh, I didn't think to look, so you can invent one, and then listeners can send us the name of the parrot, and uh, I'll edit it in the future. Which I won't. <laughs> Feathers. Feathers. But I go, you know, because people, I think, I think everyone expects a weird name or yeah, a no. jaunty name. I go with Feathers. Go Feathers. Because par- he's not, he doesn't seem that um, creative. Yeah, Feathers Harrison. Yeah. 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 <laughs> or Harrison Feathers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what he was debating with his son for the whole journey back. Oh, that's a long journey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> anyway, not long after this, he received news that uh, his investment into an iron refinery, yeah, that had fallen through, yeah. and had left him in a lot of debt. <laughs> Not surprised. Yeah, burdens then piled on when his eldest son died in 1830. Oh no. Yeah, sad in its own right, but also his son was thousands of dollars in debt, which got passed on to his widowed wife. Oh. Yeah. And also, they had six children. Oh. So the wife and the six children were taken into Harrison's household. So he's now got a lot more mouths to feed. 16. Yeah. And also this debt, which, I mean, obviously Harrison's got to try and work that out. In in fact, he travelled all the way to Washington to pull some strings to make the debt just uh, go away. (laughs) (laughs) Which he didn't quite succeed in, but he did manage to get his daughter-in-law to be able to pay it off over a period of 18 years with no interest. That's good. So, yeah. So, I mean, he, he managed to do something good there. Then a flood hit. In 1832, left much of his property damaged. So that needed to be repaired. Uh, And then another one of his sons, Benjamin, Benjamin Housen, uh, suddenly (laughs) found himself thousands of pounds in debt. And I'll quote Harrison here about the whole situation. I have sold so much of my property that should I be obliged to sell as much as would clear me of the debt, I should be left without the means of supporting my family. He's in serious monetary troubles here. He's a really unlucky guy, isn't he? <laughs> or, or just really bad at choosing investments. I, but, yeah. Yeah. And still, his family grew around this time. What? He, yes. His second son, John Scott Harrison, had a son. Yeah. Guess what the son's name is? John? No. What are they all called in this family? Oh, uh, William. No. Ben. Benjamin. Benjamin. Yes. Another Benjamin Harrison. Oh, brilliant. Might want to make a note of that one, though. I want to put a box around him. Oh, school emperor. <laughs> yes, he becomes emperor. <laughs> anyway, Harrison was rescued from his woes when he got a job as a clerk of the county courts. No salary, but he what? could charge for the work he was doing, so he would ah. get the equivalent of 10000 a year, roughly. So, yeah, he's starting to get some money. And, I mean, this, this wasn't amazing, but it was property saving. Yeah. Yeah, it meant that he wasn't going under anymore. Him and his son Carter worked together on the job. And the, their house was saved. Good. Things still tight, though. That plus the fact that he ran for and lost a race for the Senate indicated that the future wasn't really bright for the ageing general. Aww. At this point, you can really imagine just a descent into woes and troubles, can't you? How the hell has he become president? Well, <laughs> <laughs> let's leave Harrison there in his log cabin, inverted commas, <laughs> and pan over to Washington. 
Because Jackson is in charge in Washington, he's the president, and he's making enemies, as we have seen. Yes. And Van Buren was pulling the strings in the background, doing his whole magician thing. He was. Yes, and he is also making enemies. Politicians from up and down the country, old Federalists, old Republicans alike, who disliked Jackson, and all he stood for was starting to get organised. As we've seen, this political movement turned into the Whig Party. Yes. The Whigs stood for several things, public schools, public roads. Mostly, however, what they really stood for was the downfall of Andrew Jackson and everyone around him. Uh, Yeah, they saw Jackson as a dictator in the making. So due to this, they were not really a fully unified force. You had Northern Whigs who were anti-slavery and saw Jackson as a pro-slavery president who who they hated. Equally, you had Southern Whigs who were pro-state rights over national rights. Yeah. Which, as we saw in Jackson and Calhoun's toast-off, Jackson was not happy with. Of course, one of these states' rights that the Southern Whigs wanted to protect was slavery. And this did not go down well with the Northern Whigs. Yes, they all hated Jackson, but for very different reasons. So, this new forming political party needed someone who could lead all of them, get rid of Jackson, and then they could sort out the, the problems in the party. Trouble is that it would never be unified because you've got so many differences. Yeah, this was seen as impossible at the time. The leading Whig newspaper itself wrote, We desire the impossible. Yeah. 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 Hey. Oh, what would the Whig newspaper be called? I'm trying to think of a funny Whig pun. The news to pay. Oh! Oh, that's brilliant. Oh. <laughs> Maybe that's why they were angry in the, the party, because they were, you know, balding slightly. <laughs> Maybe. That's party I'll be joining in five years. <laughs> oh, here you get a free wig. Well, um, the leading wig in this time was seen as Henry Clay, who obviously we've come across yes. a few times before. He was an obvious choice by many to lead the Whigs, uh, but his daughter had just died. And he did not want to run in an election that was seen as a thankless task. Yeah. After all, the, the Democrats were very popular at this time, and Van Buren was seen as a shoo-in, really. There's no way he could lose. So, who could unite them? If it's not going to be Henry Clay, who can do this? Oh, no. Which one person could step up to the plate and unite everyone? Oh, don't say it. Face up against Van Buren himself. Oh, no. Well, it turned out no one. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> the Whigs, in an attempt to stop the Democrats taking the majority, put forth four candidates. I always remember that. And yeah, it sort I, of separated the votes. Yeah, just... I think I said three last time, um, but it looks like it's four. Uh, so I made a mistake there. I apologise. Um, but yeah, each of these candidates were popular in their own regions. And the idea, like you say, is to uh, make sure Van Buren doesn't get the majority. Yeah. And then that forces the decision to the House. And then maybe they could work some political magic. Yeah. Yeah, maybe a corrupt bargain could be struck or something. Nice. It's worked before. So they needed some people who were popular in different regions. So names started to be floated around. Who was popular enough in each region to stand against the Democrats? Harrison was not the first choice in Ohio, but a man named McLean. Unfortunately, though, McLean apparently wasn't too keen on uh, running for president. (laughs) in an election that obviously he would lose. So more names were spread about, and it's at this point some of Harrison's friends suggested that perhaps Harrison have a think about this. He's achieved a lot. Well, after all, they said, Harrison has a military record to rival Jackson himself. And, and this was really important, no one really knew who he was. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Sure, 
They'd heard the name Harrison, the war hero, but what did he stand for? Not many people knew he was a blank slate. Nice. And the Whigs had learnt the advantage of this recently from Van Buren himself. Yeah, that's true. He had shown just how far you can go by not committing to anything. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, that, yeah, that's what. Yeah. So the more people thought about it, we've got a hero here. Everyone knows his name, but no one's got a clue what he stands for. Mm. Perfect. Not only that, it gets even better. He was a Westerner. He lived in the West, on the frontier. He'd lived there all his life, almost. He's got experience yeah. with dodgy roads. Exactly. He was a northerner as well. He was in the northwest. He was from up north. He was a southerner. He was from Virginia. <laughs> he ticks all the boxes. Exactly. He was anything you wanted him to be. That's good. Oh, yes. Not everyone was convinced. Clay himself was not too keen on the idea. And Nicholas Biddle, who I mentioned before, was uh, running the banks. Jackson had a falling out with him. The name rings a bell. It's a funny name. I think the name rings a bell because he's got the most Harry Potter name in the (laughs) world. He really does. So much so I actually Googled it to check to see if he was a Harry Potter character. And I don't think Nicholas Biddle is, but he sounds like a Harry Potter character. Yeah, it does. So I'm guessing he was actually a wizard. (laughs) Anyway, Biddle wasn't 100% certain, but realised that Harrison should definitely play to his strengths if if he was to run. Harrison should only talk about the past. Don't mention anything about the future. Yes. And I will quote him here. Let him say not a single word about his principles or creed. Let him say nothing. Promise nothing. Let no council, no conversation, no town meeting even extract a single word about what we will do hereafter. Trying to play Van Buren's game, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. Because if you commit to something, they'll hold you to account for it later on when it goes tits up. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So with this lukewarm reception from some of the high-up <laughs> Whigs, but with a very real growing faction behind him... A few gentle claps. Yeah. <laughs> Harrison started campaigning, which at this time mostly meant let people visit him at his house. I guess that's a gentlemanly way to do it back then. You come and visit me. I'm not trying to be president. I'm just, you know. Ah, we're going to come to that. Oh. Yes. Oh, okay. But not just yet. Anyway, come the election, Harrison actually did really rather well. No. There were worries that rumours of him being too old, he's now in his mid-60s, would uh, harm his chances. But he polled very respectably. He got 36.6% of the popular vote. Wiping the floor of the other Whig candidates. That's good. Yeah. I guess the war hero status is good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Van Buren, however, got 50.8%, enough to win outright just about. So he became the eighth president. And then, as we saw in his episode, a few days after he became the president, the economy fell over and twitched slightly. (laughs) However, the depression that had settled on the Whigs must have lifted somewhat. I mean, okay, yeah, the economy's falling over, but oh, actually, an opportunity. we've been saying this is going to be, this was going to happen for ages. And, and it's all Van Buren's fault now. Yeah, definitely. It's Jackson and Van Buren. They ruined the country. This would never have happened if it was on a farm then. <laughs> no, definitely not. So the next election, yes, it was four years away, but it was now theirs for the taking. Mm. And this time they would be ready. Now, quote here, we must prepare for the next campaign and profit by the errors of the last, said a friend to Harrison. Nice. So on the back of Harrison's performance in 36, Harrison was gaining more and more support. But he was not alone. 
because Henry Clay, now feeling like it was his time, made it clear that he wanted the job. Yeah. Yeah. And he was seen by many as the leader of the Wicks. Clay, a career politician, perhaps felt that the job was rightfully his. I mean, he'd been working for this for years. Mm. He was telling his friends that uh, Harrison was vain, shallow, and small-minded. There we go with the shallow and small-minded again. One day, Clay received a letter from Harrison, and I'll quote here. A few years ago, I could not have believed in the possibility of my being placed in a position of apparent rivalry to you, particularly in relation to the presidency, an office that I have never dreamed of attaining, and which I ardently wished to see you occupy. Fate, as Bonaparte would say, has placed me where I am, and I wait the result which time will determine, with little anxiety as anyone has ever felt so situated. He's trying to show he's not a threat. Yeah. Do you think he meant it? Well, I also think it must have been a very irritating letter to Clay, who has <laughs> yeah, worked yeah. all his life trying to get here. Oh. And there's this old general saying, yeah, I'll do it if they want me to. Oh, it's a dig. <laughs> oh, that'd be annoying, yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, I do get the feeling that this is Harrison just being polite. He comes across as a polite man. Probably stupid. <laughs> Anyway, Clay had all the experience to do the job. He had years of records of him being able to be a good politician. Yes. Uh, But that is his main problem. Yet again, we see the fact that Wiggs could look at Clay and decide whether they liked him or not, whereas they could look at Harrison and just project their own views onto him. That's true. Take slavery, for example. Both men Mm -hmm. thought roughly the same thing. Both said slavery was terrible, but... Unfortunately, it must continue with slave states because the states have the right to carry on. Nothing we can do about it. It's terrible, but... Nice. Oh, dear. Pretty much the the view we've seen from pretty much all the presidents so far. However, the difference between the two men was that every anti-slavery protester across the entire United States knew Clay was pro-slavery. And (laughs) no one really knew what Harrison thought. He was a war hero, wasn't he? And Ohio didn't have slaves up there. So he's probably (laughs) anti-slavery. Harrison pushes this advantage to breaking point. Yeah. Ridiculously so. When asked about various issues affecting the country, he responded that his respect for Congress was so great that he did not feel that he could, and I quote here, could not express opinions on subjects which belong to future legislation of Congress. Oh, nice. I can't possibly talk about anything that affects the country because Congress might make a decision on it in future, and I respect Congress so much. That's beautiful. That's just... Don't think you'd get away with that nowadays. No. But maybe. (laughs) No accountability at all. Yeah. Anyway, the momentum was building. But then personal tragedy struck. Wife died? No. Oh. In 1838... William Harrison Jr. died at the age of 35. Then his son Carter died the following year. Oh my goodness. Yeah. A couple of years after, as the election was near, his son Benjamin Harrison died. Three children died in quick succession in this period of campaigning. Harrison, perhaps to distract himself from the grief, threw himself into the upcoming election. Sounds bad, but great PR. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't want to be doing this, but he's doing it for the good of the country. Yes. Yeah. Taunts of his age haunted him from the last election. He was determined to prove that he could work as hard as any younger man. The Whigs, realising that they needed more organisation this time, called their first ever convention. Okay. Yeah. And in a display of modernisation, seats were reserved for, and I quote here, reporters of the newspaper press. Oh, that's clever. 
Yes, this election really was a turning point in US history. Uh, it's been done very differently. Now, in one of the books I read about this convention, the author made a note to say that organising the press was perhaps easier back then because the press made no attempt to pretend that they were non-partisan. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I checked. This book was written in 2012. I'm not entirely convinced a line like that would be surviving in a book published this year. Absolutely not. <laughs> the idea of having non-partisan press. Hmm. Do you remember those happy days? Yeah, the press has always been in some way partisan, but it just seems to be far more aggressively so now, doesn't it? Yeah, it's um, that it's just not hidden anymore, is it? No. In our lifetimes, it used to be hidden. Yeah, you, yeah. they could hide behind it a little bit and be more innuendo and suggestion. Yeah. Now it's just blatantly... Well, I, I watch a lot of American news it's, it's, to keep on top of, of American politics. Yeah. Uh, and I'm always struck. And it's not just Fox News, although they are the worst for it. Their use of pronouns from yeah. MSNBC... Uh, from Fox, even CNN, mm. quite often say things like us and we when they mean the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's like, you, you're reporting the news and you're just openly yeah. saying. It's like, you just don't get that in this country. No, even in true. Even in organisations where you think there's a bit of bias, there's you just don't get it. You don't see it. It's, it's always a bit weird, a bit jarring. That's, I've never noticed that. I've yeah. Check that out. Anyway, back in the early days yeah. where we are now, yeah, uh, reporters would openly be... Um, supporters of a party mm. and reporting on a party was almost a stepping stone to get into the the politics well that yeah that's what, what it would have been that wasn't it? it's like an interview almost yeah how much i support you let me in yeah exactly but yeah so we're starting to see the press really get involved we're starting yeah. to see conventions and reporting on the details of political parties going yeah, on. yeah so let's cover this convention shall we the race was down to three men whoever won this would be put forward to become presidents against Van Buren. So this is, this is the party... Nomination, yes. Yes. Yeah. But considering Van Buren was doing so badly, whoever won this is a good chance they're going to yeah. become president. And it is down to Harrison Clay and a man named Scott, who was uh, another general, but a younger general. None of the candidates were present. They all were all at home awaiting news. <laughs> The convention ran thus. 254 men from all states had a vote. This is two men for each seat in the House and the Senate that the party held in Washington. Right. So if you had a senator from Virginia, you got two people in this vote. Right. Yeah. The first man to get a majority, so 127, would become the nominee for the Wicks. Okay. So first ballot was taken. Counted up, Clay led with 103 votes, Harrison second, 94, Scott trailing with 57. Clearly no majority, but Clay doing quite well. Yeah. Okay, bit of a pause. Let's take a second bout. The results were exactly the same. Okay. Okay. So no one changed their mind then. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> right, you're not quite understanding this, guys. We need some movement or this is not going to work. Drop Scott. Well, then there was some politicking, some yeah. backroom chats. Here we go. Some people leaning against the bar and having a word. It would appear that Scott's supporters did the best job because in the third ballot, Clay went down to Ooh. 95. Harrison went down slightly to 91. Scott got a modest bump up to 68. More deadlock. In fact, even more deadlock than before. They're even closer. Okay, never mind. Let's do another vote. Exactly the same results as the third. Excellent. Yeah. But then... 
the wonderfully named Thaddeus Stevens. That's a brilliant name. It is. Who was essentially Harrison's campaign manager, decided something must be done. So, he walked across the room. Revolutionary! Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. you got to picture this. Yeah. Room full of politicians. Right. Mingling. Chatting. Backstabbing. <laughs> Metaphorically, possibly, not literally. No. Um, dealing, making promises. Yeah. Filling up this, this church room that they're in. Yeah. There's a big group of delegates from Virginia um, just standing together having a chat, talking about what's going on. And are you watching him here? Yeah. Going to slow motion slightly. Ooh, it's got slightly black and white as well. Okay. The the sound's dimmed as well. It's become muffled. Thaddeus Stevens, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. He pushes his way through the Virginian delegates and then zoom into his pocket because they're slowly falling to the ground is a piece of paper. <gasps> and then, calm as you like, he just carries on walking. Ooh. Then, predictably, a few minutes later, one of the Virginians looks down. Oh, what's this? It's a letter on the floor. He picks it up. He reads it. Probably drinking his whiskey, of course. Yeah. Halfway through reading it, so zoom in on the eyes going left and right, okay. left and right, and then suddenly the whiskey's out of his mouth, spluttering. What a waste. (laughs) I know, it's terrible. Because what he is reading is a letter from Scott expressing sympathy with an abolitionist movement. Scott is (gasps) anti-slavery. It's down there in black and white. Oh. Oh, yes. Word soon got around the Virginian delegates and all the delegates from the South. Scott didn't believe in owning people. What a monster. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The change was rapid. Virginia announced that they could not support Scott anymore. And, as Thaddeus Stevens predicted, their support went to Harrison. Ah. After all, a Virginian man. Uh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And hard to pin down. Yeah. Yeah. The third ballot was cast. Scott, 16. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) That's probably what he said. Yeah. Clay, 90. Harrison, 148. Oh, wow. Okay. So Harrison became the nominee in a race against a very unpopular president. Oh, my goodness. Also, incidentally, a man named Tyler was made nominee for vice president. No one really thought much of it. Vice president isn't a real job anyway. So just bear that in mind. Tyler's vice president. What's his first name? John. John Tyler. Yeah. I've heard that name. Yeah. Anyway... (laughs) Clay, bitterly disappointed, to his credit, swung behind Harrison. I'll quote here. Oh, wow. We have not been contending for Clay or Scott. No, we have been contending for principles. Nice. He perhaps hoped that enough support now would mean a good position in Harrison's government. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) However, what these principles were is actually quite hard to pin down. Like I've said, the strongest unifying force in the Whig Party was their hatred for Jackson and Van Buren. Yeah. But if what they stood for was hard to pin down, they were determined to let it be known what they were against. And the Democrats helped them do it. Because one Democratic paper sneered at Harrison. They stated he was a washed-up retired general. And I'll quote here. Give him a barrel of cider and a pension of 2,000 a year, and, our word for it, he will sit the remainder of his days in a log cabin by the side of a cheap coal fire and study moral philosophy. He'd probably love that, though, wouldn't he? (laughs) Quite possibly. (laughs) This ill-thought-out attack was seized upon by the Wicks. It summed up exactly what they were against, the elitism of the Democrats. 
Harrison was a hard cider drinking log cabin owner. <laughs> he was one of us. Yeah. He was one of the people. Yeah, that's what we all do, isn't it? They've... In his small little log cabin. Exactly. Oh. And so begins one of the most infamous campaigns in US history, where the Whigs ran an amazing campaign that blew everything that had come before it out of the water. We covered the songs last week mm. and the whiskey. And the shampoo. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, the Harrison shampoo was uh, made and sold. Other things were going on that I didn't mention last week, though. It's often remarked that the greatest trick that the Whigs pulled in this election is the fact that they managed to portray Harrison as a welcoming contradiction. <laughs> he was at one moment a man of the people living in his log cabin. The next moment, and sometimes in the same article, like the next paragraph... He was the son of the signer, Virginian aristocracy. He was pro and anti-slavery. He was a war hero and a common soldier. Despite the fact he was very much a member of the country's elite, and very obviously so, (laughs) he was sold as a man of the people. Now again, amusingly, one of the books that I was reading dedicated a whole page covering how this could possibly happen. Because after all, according to this book, it seems very hard for the modern reader to understand. But this was achieved. People weren't stupid, but they seemed to be able to overlook the evidence before them that Harrison was not a working-class man in a log cabin. Again, this book was written pre-2016. <laughs> we have seen the same trick before our very eyes very recently. Where a... This week, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where you've got a, a billionaire member of the elite of America being sold very much as a working-class man. Yeah. Anyway, election fever took over the entire country. This was obviously pre-television, radio. Uh, newspapers are around, but they didn't do things like cover sport because no. you didn't get national sports back then. Word of mouth would be the, the propaganda. Yes. I'm guessing, but, but also it would change and hyperbole be rife, and more so than probably today. Yeah, quite. In lots of ways. Yes, definitely. I mean, you suddenly got throughout the country a competition, and this was one that the newspapers reported on. Yeah. It became a, a game almost, one that all men could join in, as long as you were white and rich enough. Yeah, yeah. Although, to be fair, voting rights had really been expanded, so most white men could now vote. Oh, brilliant. So, in an age where people would turn up to the nearest village if anything unusual was going on, yeah. it was very easy to get people to turn up for parties and rallies, or just generally anything unusual. For example, giant balls were being rolled through villages with political slogans on. These were made of tin or paper, and uh, just said things like, Tippecanoe and Tyler too on them. And you'd just roll this giant ball through the village and everyone would see it and talk about the campaign. Did you see those massive balls? Yeah. I did. Hence the saying, to get the ball rolling. Ah! Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, again, there was some debate on this, but um, it's a, an accepted theory that that saying comes from this election. So you can put wow. that with OK, which we had last time. That's this, amazing. Yeah, this, this election has it all. So, yeah, songs were being sung, parties thrown, hard cider being passed around in honour of Harrison. After oh. all, he was a hard cider drinker, so everyone drank lots of cider. In several places, parades were being held featuring numerous giant balls going down the road and also massive floats with log cabins on them. 
That'd be a great slogan, though. <laughs> Vote for the man with the balls. Yes. <clears throat> He's got balls. Massive ones. <laughs> In an attempt to get a nickname for Harrison, uh, Old Buckeye was put forward. It didn't really catch on. No. But Tippecanoe did. And it stuck. So the importance of that small skirmish was suddenly heightened in conversation. Mm. Hadn't Harrison personally fought Tecumseh at Tippecanoe and won? Well... No, as we saw, Tecumseh wasn't there. Um, but <laughs> why? Dead details. Why let facts get in the way of a good story? Well, yeah, yeah. The world of excitement reached even the more formal Whig politicians, and suddenly everyone in the Whig party was looking into their family tree, bizarrely looking for someone who lived or had lived in a log cabin. It was suddenly look for your poor relatives time. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Fashionable, a shabby chic. Yeah. <laughs> He's bringing that to the US. It's like, yeah, I've got a third cousin once removed in the log cabin, so I know what it's like to be the common man. <laughs> I can totes relate. <laughs> <laughs> As you can imagine, few on the Whig side stopped to wonder about the fact that a son of a Virginian aristocrat was being painted as someone who had worked his way up from nothing, whereas his opponent, Van Buren, had literally been born in a hamlet and helped run a tavern and worked his way up from nothing. And yet he was very successfully being painted as the elite. Yeah. Something that must have really wound Van Buren up. Yeah. But the campaign didn't stop there. The Whigs published pamphlets, such as The Log Cabin Anecdotes. <laughs> this was 12 woodcuts, so, so pictures round the border, and then descriptions of the pictures. And these were all depictions of Harrison doing something really, 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 really good. What a great guy. Look at that there, drinking cider. There, staring at his log fire. <laughs> what, the only original bit of the cabin left. <laughs> You're not too far off there. Um, <laughs> really? I mean, th this was essentially an instruction manual of sorts to teach Whig supporters what to say to Democratic opponents. Yeah, so read this, and then when someone talks about Harrison, you can say, wow, well, he's done this. I've got 12 anecdotes to tell you. Yeah. That's amazing. I'll give you some of the titles. Uh, one of them was Harrison's Humility in War. Another one was Harrison's Address to Bolivia. So that letter. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, he did have some good things in it, to be fair. It wasn't all a diplomatic disaster. <laughs> um, yeah. One was called Harrison's Treatment of an Old Soldier and Harrison Giving Away His Only Blankets. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. Uh, my personal favourite, though... Harrison preferring another man's son to his own. That's not a good thing. <laughs> this is um, anti-nepotism. Like yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. what this is. Uh, not just him hating his son. The word goes just him like beating his own child with thoughts with a orphan kid next to him. Yeah. Just, it could be worse. Walk, walking past with his own baby son, seeing a mother with another baby, looking over... That's your swap. <laughs> no, I don't think it was quite that, no. No. Um, here's one that didn't age too well over time. Harrison saving the life of a Negro. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, it doesn't sound great, that one. Ooh, um, but you can see what they're aiming for. He, he Racism. Treats, yeah, he, he's yeah. not racist. He, yeah. he treats all people fairly. Um, <laughs> oh, God. You will not be surprised that some of this boisterous campaigning turned nasty. Yeah. Uh, a lot of fights were reported between Democrat and Whig supporters. So much so that some started talking of a civil war breaking out. Politics had turned nasty in some regions. Never happened, though. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's also unfamiliar, this story of back in the day, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Anyway, Harrison's not letting any of this stop him, and perhaps proving that at his age he could keep up with anyone, he often gave speeches that ran into the second or even third hour, mainly talking about war stories. Oh dear. Yeah. Quite often going off on tangents. <laughs> uh, just... just riffing, basically, and seeing what worked with the crowd. Could barely um, see that anymore. <laughs> he would often change his speeches, depending on who he was talking to. <laughs> he was very anti-slavery up north, but a huge supporter of states' rights to decide on slavery when talking to Southerners. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Again, same book here that I read, said he could get away with this because of the lack of modern reporting technology. Yeah. Couldn't be done nowadays. Oh, no. Said the book. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, historians in future are really going to have a hard time explaining now, aren't they? <laughs> you, just, you just think people are stupid. That's the, yeah. Well, but, but this is it. It's not stupidity. It's no. the same then as it is now. The fact is... Wanting to believe. People didn't like who was in charge. Yeah. Back then, people didn't care if the stories about Harrison were true or not. They didn't care if they really looked into it that technically he wasn't actually in a log cabin whatsoever. The fact is, they didn't like Van Buren. Yeah. So he had to go. And Harrison won in a landslide. Oh, wow. 79.6% of the Electoral College. That's massive. Yeah, a result, however, that did not reflect the popular vote. He got oh. 53% to Van Buren's 46 so still a comfortable win, but nowhere near as high as the Electoral College yeah. win. Yeah, okay, interesting. Um, anyway, Sir Harrison is elected president. The ninth. He arrived in Washington and paid a visit to some of the leading politicians at the time. This is before his inauguration. He's just getting yeah. to know the place. Uh, he stopped in on Calhoun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Calhoun. You yeah. seem nice. <laughs> Calhoun looked up and uh, had a quick chat, and then remarked afterwards that Harrison did not look strong enough for the job ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. He said, just staring. Saying it to his face. <laughs> yes. In the third person. He doesn't look strong enough. Yes. <laughs> Harrison foolishly had not sacrificed a bunny in Calhoun's presence. And that's, everyone knows that's what you do to true. get Calhoun's trust. Yeah, and or larger preferably. Bunny at the least. Yeah. So then Harrison spent his time before his inauguration to uh, sort out his cabinet. Who's mm. going to work with him? The biggest shock here is that he did not give Clay anything. Really? Yeah. See, oh. turned out when Harrison was campaigning and giving his speeches and saying things like how awful it is that Jackson gave out jobs in return for political support, um, turned <clears> out that <throat> Harrison actually meant it when he said he wasn't going to do that. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's Clay's reaction. Oh, you, you meant it. Oh, I was... Oh. I just thought it was one of those election truths. <laughs> but it's an actual truth. <laughs> right. Yeah, he was furious and confronted Harrison, who apparently said, although some people debate this, um, I quote here, you forget I am president, which is a great thing to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, on the 4th of March, 1841, Harrison rode to the Capitol building on a very cold, windy, drizzly day. Due to election fever, though, the crowd to see him was huge. Mm. And it's impossible to tell because no one's counting, but some suggest this is the biggest crowd so far to see someone become the president. So, big crowd. Harrison started off his speech. A speech that has gone down in history. 
as the longest inauguration speech in history. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> on, uh, nearly two hours, Harrison stood there, hat in hand, in the rain, speaking. Because normally they're about, what, most recent ones were like 45 minutes yeah. to an hour? Yeah, they're, they're usually the most. over an hour. He, he lasts almost two hours. Wow. This is in an age where no one can hear what he's saying. <laughs> So everyone's just standing in the rain watching him mouth words. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, bet they're better with Chinese whispers. Like, you know, you start at the front, they yeah. try and pass it back, what was being said, and then... He's going to put an elephant in a bamboo shoot. What's that even mean? What? Why yeah. does a mouse need hair clippers? <laughs> yeah, well, the speech had actually been longer than two hours. It had been cut quite drastically, apparently. <laughs> uh, it was full of references to obscure Romans. The man who edited his speech announced afterwards, I quote here, I killed 17 Roman proconsuls <laughs> whilst editing the speech. Oh, excellent. <laughs> anyway, eventually the speech is over to, I imagine, a smaller crowd at the end. <laughs> Started with 80 million, ended with three. Yeah. A freezing cold and shivering 67-year-old Harrison left the podium. 67, wow. Oh, yeah. And got to work. Sniffling a little bit. <laughs> yeah. He was determined to get rid of this spoil system that had plagued the Democrats. He made it very clear that in his government, if you worked for the government in like a civil service position, yeah. it was no longer required that you support the government. You were allowed to disagree. You worked for the government, but you were allowed to disagree with the party you was in charge. That's very progressive. Very progressive, yeah. Very wow. good. So he sent a memo and said that he would not be firing men who had shown support for opposition. Mm. People would keep their jobs or gain new jobs, cough, 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 yeah. on merit. He then had a meeting with his Treasury Secretary to make sure there were cough, 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 enough cough, cough, splutter, splutter, Money to cough, choke, cough, 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 cough. On March the 26th, a doctor was called. No. Harrison was reported as mildly no. ill, but not dangerously slow. On April the 4th, he died no. 31 days into his presidency. Oh my God. <laughs> he could do nothing, could he? That is pathetic. That's... N Actually, not surprising. I knocked my glasses off in disgust. That's not surprising at all, really. But oh my god! <laughs> Poor Harrison. Long, what? Longest speech, shortest presidency. I think his speech was probably longer than his presidency. <laughs> well, he's probably spent longer putting it together than on his presidency. Yeah. He probably did. But yeah, a month. He lasts a month. How, Thirty-one days. Thirty-one days. Oh. That's why everyone's been laughing. Yeah. <laughs> that is pathetic. Really is, isn't it? I've had a sore throat longer than he lasted as president. <laughs> yes. I've I've eaten yogurts <laughs> that have been longer past their eat by date. Is that when you got the sore throat? Weirdly, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, should we rate them? Really? Let's try. I didn't get to end the page. That's just <laughs> okay, I must admit, I got to this point in my notes and I started making a couple of bits of why we could give him points for statesmanship. <laughs> and then I thought, you know what? I'm going to get in contact with Jerry Landry, who produced that 40 oh, yeah. odd episode series on Harrison. A whole series on Harrison. Yeah. I also know that Harrison is his favourite lesser known president. So I favourite? Yeah, yeah. 
I guess by fair is me most interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because that two different things, I would say. Yeah. So yeah, I contacted Jerry and said, "Look, why, why should we give him points? <laughs> I'm struggling here." So he 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 made a few good points that we should consider. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. While in Congress, he became the go-to guy looking out for veterans, which I mentioned, and that is a nice thing, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And the families and the, you know, thought thought about, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no one worked harder to secure those pensions for the widows and the orphans. That's nice. His trip to Colombia may not go down in history as one of the most successful diplomatic missions, yeah. but it would seem that he genuinely wanted to see Colombia achieve the democratic success of the United States. You could see that letter to Bolivia as a genuine attempt to help. Just a, not a very good one. <laughs> He's obviously well out of his depth, though. So I, Possibly. The, the, history's full of people with good intentions. <laughs> yes, that's true. That get crushed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, another point. The election of 1840, and to some extent 1836, uh, was definitely a turning point, as we've seen yes. in US politics. Now, although this is obviously not solely due to Harrison, it should be noted that it was in support of Harrison that we see the first published female writer of a political pamphlet. Really? Yeah. Um, the Whigs at this time, again supporting Harrison, actively looked to women to help campaign. So we're actually seeing women start to get involved in politics. And this is a movement moving behind Harrison, so maybe you should get some credit for that. But Van Buren did that as well, did a very similar thing. You know, he would cause messages to be spread out and use women to spread... Now, word. that's very different. Van Buren used the existing gossip culture and power that wives have over their husbands to use back okay. channels in the political elite. Whereas the Whigs were asking women to go out and spread the message to the people and actually campaign. Why? Why do they choose women? Because I doubt it would have been because it's progressive and women are human too. Oh, no, no, no. It was just really? get out there, spread the word. Yeah, this isn't a cynical kind of... I, I don't know. I, I, I've, I I'm, don't... I'm doubtful. Don't get me wrong, there were many people who were disgusted by this. Uh, I have a quote here from a, a Democratic politician at the time. I'm sorry to say I have seen ladies joining in and wearing ribbons across their breasts. <laughs> I'm guessing they were wearing more than just ribbons across <laughs> their, their breasts, because that might, <laughs> might explain why he felt the need to go and write it down. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, Richard Johnson, who went on to criticise ministers for letting women, and I quote here, carry on their abominations. And that was widely uh, an accepted view at the time. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, we're starting to see some movement. But uh, I, still, I don't, I, I can see it's just kind of desperation to get everyone out there rather than a, this is going to be great for women empowerment. I, I think there'll be a mixture of all sorts. However, I don't think we can really cynical. give Harrison much for this. Well, he had, he had nothing to do with it. His yeah. job wasn't to... But he didn't shut it down. He didn't say, I won't have women campaigning on my behalf. No, but it's also equally possible he didn't understand it or realise it was happening. There is also that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, maybe this is worthy of a point here. He really did seem to want to get rid of the spoil system. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And really, he proved it. Yeah, it does look like things were about to change in the culture of government. One of the few things he did as president was circulate that memo and say no to Clay. Yeah. Uh, so, quite possibly there. So, that's good. Can we give him anything? I wanted to give him a few points for this anti spoil system. Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah. Although it never, 
ever takes effect even now <laughs> yeah it doesn't no you know, it doesn't it's all, but he it's tried all, to to go against it yeah. it's all full of cliques or clicks or how we pronounce it it's it, that's how politics is it's all yeah tribal yeah and we'll see how bad that gets in future episodes but yeah no that's quite good i think the, the stuff he did for the the veterans as well that's good yeah. However, we've not covered bad. Oh. Yeah, because um, his treatment of the Native Americans... Oh, yeah. ...was terrible. Yeah. And that wasn't his personal treatment, so it's not in Disgracegate. This is his work on behalf of the state. So this counts in this round. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he... The, the treaties just lied and cheated. Yeah. And it, it doesn't really matter that Harrison seemed to think the treaties were legal and should be abided to. They weren't by the state, and Harrison were pushing them forward. So I think he's got to lose points for that. I think so. I'm only going to give him one. I agree. Yeah. I'm giving him one as well. I'm going to okay. match that, I think. So that is two. Disgrace games. Okay, so when you um, take away his uh, pushing through of those treaties, because that's in statesmanship, mm. um, and just focus on the man personally, he seems like quite a nice man. Yeah? Yeah, he and his wife seemed very much in love. They had a large family that he did everything he could to support, albeit not brilliantly. Yeah. Um, he disliked the racism in his region, uh, even if he didn't recognise how much he was actually contributing to it. Yeah. But on a personal level, he, he seems to hate the racism that was going on. Um, he appeared to have morals. Yeah, he, he seemed to have morals. He seems just like a nice guy. There's no, there's just no scandal. Unless you count the fact that he let the people believe in a version of him that was a lie. But he never, as far as we can how out, outright lied to the electorate. He just would be vague on what type of house he lived in. <laughs> and there were logs, damn it. There were logs yeah. in there somewhere. In that fire burning away. <laughs> yeah. Lots yeah. of logs. I don't think we can give anything here. Huh? No, I agree. Okay. Silver screen. Okay, he might be able to pick up some here. I always feel like if it's if it's his film or series or whatever, it's very it's gonna be a very sad film. Lots of <laughs> yes. something positive then ugh, full of potential but never realised. Lots of dark moody shots of him sitting in his bedroom at his desk, just staring out the window. For five minutes, like yeah. <laughs> it's punctu and anything that happens always punctuated by that. Yeah. Very bleak moment. Just the occasional sigh. <laughs> <sighs> Which makes it far more depressing than crying. <laughs> yes. Just a resigned, yeah. Knock on the door. The the iron foundry, it's gone under. Crossing out another one <laughs> on his list. Yes. Every, every now and again there's a little tick and then just most of it just crosses and a little sad face. Occasionally his parrot tries to cheer him up. Oh, then it dies. But then it dies. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. And not in a nice way as well. No. It, it flew into the fireplace oh, no. with the log in his log cabin. So, okay, quick rundown here then. Um, <laughs> when he was young, he ran away from the traitor Benedict Arnold, remember? Yes. So you got a good running away in the Revolutionary War. Nice way to start off your series. I like the way you're being um, consistent with the, the traitor. Oh, that's how he's known. The traitor Benedict Arnold. Or as we call him, the British hero. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 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 Yeah. Then there was medical school, which was not fun. Yeah. <laughs> then his father died. And yeah. Obviously, you've got Brian Blessed in this as well, which is oh, good for the ratings. That's, yeah, that's good. Yeah. 
Uh, anyway, he dies. Then he's in the army. He sees St. Clair's defeated troops come back and yes. then raid the alcohol and everything's falling apart. And he's sent out to go and get the equipment in the snow. Oh. So that might be a nice guy. He succeeds there. That's, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, exactly. that's resilience and... And then he meets his wife and they have a secret wedding. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Nice. Like that. Oh, then it kind of goes downhill a bit. I mean, he's governor for 12 years. You might want to do that in a montage. Get that over with quite quickly. <laughs> Very fast one-minute montage. Yeah. Then uh, the war with Tecumseh and the Prophets. Yes. Prophets Town. Yep. Battle of Tippecanoe. War of 1812. So you could have a whole arc of Tecumseh and how he dies. Then you could have an episode of him going to Columbia and then coming back home again with his pet power. I think it could be a two-episode, two-part episode, I think. You could probably do an episode on him trying to get to Columbia. Well, yes. Yeah. Then you could have, like, the start of the next episode, him doing the vegetable gardens. Yeah. And occasionally talking to people about how it's not looking great down here. He'll, he'll take the hat off, wipe his brow, put the yeah. hat back on again with yeah. his hoe in his hand. Yeah. He goes parrot shopping. Yes. That could be a scene. And then he gets a little beady black eye and their 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 eyes match and like his eyes sparkle. Yeah. Parrot eye looks the same. Yeah. Then First time like, you see Harrison truly happy. Yeah. The parrot yeah. eye is just cold and dead as parrots are. Yeah. <laughs> then the parrot tells him things about the state of politics in Colombia and Harrison gets a bit worried. Spanish accent. Yeah. <laughs> no amigo. <laughs> what? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Bad things happen, amigo. It's <laughs> a good Spanish power. I'm impressed. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, Been practicing. <laughs> yeah, and then he finds out that he's being replaced. He's a bit angry, so he writes his letter. Yes. Yeah. Um, Parrot. And then he goes home, and then you could just do the fun campaign stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and then he dies. Actually, the campaigning could be a good arc of yeah. episodes, I think. Yeah, that could be... Oh, the convention against Clay. You could definitely get something good out That'd of that. That'd be good. Yeah. The drama of the dropping the... I mean, you know what? It's really not too bad. You've got you've got the opening war, which is mm. always good. You've got a war when he's older. Yeah. Um, and then you've got some politics, like backroom politics going on. A trip abroad, that's always nice. I think it's very exciting. It's not too bad. I mean, it's not amazing. See, what, what we'd have, though, is like every episode was like an hour long. Yeah. Or an hour and a half long, make it interesting. Because there's a lot to pack in, I think. Okay. I think you could do it. I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. Last yeah. episode, five minutes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just suddenly cuts up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so people don't suspect, though, like five minutes and then an hour and 25 minutes of just focusing on his coffin. Oh. Yeah. People walking past. Yeah. Paying that was Coffee. <coughs> in light. Just like yeah. real time. And Clay hitting it a few times. <laughs> Spitting on it, walking off. It's parrot sitting there. Squaw. Oh, it lands lands on halfway. Yeah, mm. halfway through, you get the parrot. The parrot lies down and dies on the coffin. Oh, loyal parrot. And oh. That's how it ends. Just just fades in on the dead parrot. Feathers. Because he was far more interesting than. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, it's not it's not brilliant, but you know what? I, I think he can actually pick up some points. Here. I think so. I'm prepared to give him a six because I think that's some some good stuff in there. Yeah, I'm I'm going to go for six as well. Let's do it. So that is 12 for living a relatively interesting... No, you know what? I'm going to go at seven. Really? Knock me up to 13. Oh, I've got to use my so. rubber. <laughs> I think that was an actually a jam-packed, interesting life. And the fact he dies young is actually dramatic. Well, he doesn't die young, but dies in the presidency. He's the first person to die in the presidency. So, yeah. No, seven. That's true. 13. 13. Not bad, Wadden Hausen. Canvas ability. 
Okay, you ready for what he looks like? Or can I guess? Got him. Bit sad looking. Pretty much. There you go. <laughs> Ooh, look at his eyebrows. That's that's a that's a sloping forehead, isn't it? Yeah. He's Very deep set eyes. Deep set eyes. Big thin, nose. Thinning on top. Uh, moody background in a red chair. Was that painted during his presidency? Or was it post-presidency? That's his official portrait, so I'm guessing post-presidency. It would have to be. Unless that was all All paintings take, would take months back then. Yeah, I didn't think Even to now. check that. So, um, yeah, let us know when was his portrait done. Probably post, like JFK's was done after he died. Yeah. So, no, no, yeah, they're always done afterwards, aren't they? Not Or near the end of... Nowadays they are. They're done afterwards, but that's not always been the case. I mean, back then he'd be like, is this what it liked? Oh, I can't remember. Probably. Maybe they just, like, propped the corpse up and did it. Actually, he's quite pale. He is quite pale. <laughs> There's no parrot, though, which makes me sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not inspiring. I don't look at him and think he is a born leader. He looks like a vice president. <laughs> Which he didn't actually achieve. Damning. <laughs> I think that's my new go-to insult. <laughs> oh, he's vice president material. Um, five. It's not awful. It's five. not great. Oh, four to three. I uh, I wish you could do three point five. I'm gonna go with three. That is a total of one for canvasability. Bonus. And of course, bonus points. Yay. He is the first person to not get a single point for terms, because he did not complete a term. Oh. So, zero for terms. Uh, yes, he died, but no one killed him. Uh, so, zero for assassination. He's not doing one on this round either. But his electoral win was a landslide. Ooh, so he gets two for that. So that is a total of 18. Oh, I think this is a bit of a shock. He's not bottom. No. He's not even second bottom. Harrison defeats his two Democratic opponents, Andrew Jackson and Van Buren. Wow. Jackson's disgrace gate has just destroyed his score, so he's still at the bottom. But Van Buren only got 17.25. That's because he subtracted four because of his slavery thing. But do you know what, though? He didn't outright disagree with slavery. Oh, no, that's a good point. We didn't and talk he about did that. own slaves. Yeah, you know what? Let's go back to uh, disgrace, disgrace Gate room. Right, quick. Backwards. Off right. we go. Okay. Disgrace Gate. Right, yeah. No, I, I think we need to reconsider this. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think we need to give him the same score as Van Buren's because slaves were owned and he quite clearly was happy with that and that personally is quite bad. Yeah, he was also pushing for slaves to instantly become indentured servants for a lifetime. You could argue that that should be um, statesmanship, but no, no, you're right. I think that needs a couple. Yeah, I'm going to go minus two. Are you going? Oh, minus two as well. So that's, that's minus, minus four. four. Right, quick, back to the total score room. So he right. now has a total score of... 14. 14, which still means he beats Jackson, but Van Buren has now beaten Harrison. Yes. Yes. Okay, so 14, but we've got one more thing we need to... No, we don't, do we? You never know, he could be an American. Is he an American? No. He's not. Should no. we go to the room so we can discuss it, though? American or American? Should we just say no, then, and move on? <laughs> Is there any reason why we should give it to him? No. I mean, the, the election that was around him was revolutionary in its own way, but, I mean, that that's society moving forward. It's not Harrison. No, that was... He benefited from that mm. situation. And I'm more inclined to say Van Buren was responsible for that 
because he saw how to politically motivate people, which yeah. then the Whigs copied and built upon. Yeah. It's not really it's Harrison. evolution of an event. Yeah, so, no, I'm sorry, Harrison. It's hardly surprising, but you're not getting an American. But you're not last, and you're beating the person. How is he not last? 31 days! <laughs> It's just the way we do ask him. And he probably killed himself with his long speech. It's his own fault he died. It was literally political suicide. <laughs> yes, it was. But there you go. Four death marches. It hurts your score. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay, then. That's this week. Mm. Next week, can you work out who it's going to be? His vice president... Tippecanoe and Tyler two two yeah so that that meeting where as a kind of kind of oh yeah we need to choose a vice president as well no one really thought too much about it suddenly becomes quite important <laughs> yeah because we have a constitutional crisis because they had nothing to do with it, so what do we do now and that's what we'll find out next time it's either new election which would be annoying or yeah. does it fall to the vice president because he's next in that's all interesting or go back to Britain it's always an option America. You can always come back. Maybe that could be on the the current voting slips. Join UK. It's been there since since the 1700s. Yeah, it's just at the bottom. If you you turn your slip over... Actually, they don't use slips in America. They use electronic stuff, don't they? Or do they fill in a slip and put it into the machine? And it counts it that way. From what I've seen, you can tap on a thing. Is that in every place? It seems so open to abuse, though. Oh, that's if I was going to hack something, that would be the first thing I would do. It's really weird. See, in the UK, there's even debate on whether we should use pencils or not because you can rub them out and perhaps wow. we should use pens. All paper. Right. I'll say thank you very much for listening. We need to stop just chatting. So, thanks for listening. All that needs to be said is... Goodbye. Goodbye. We really must get this sorted. The election is coming up soon. We, we're being tranced out there. The, the Whigs, they've got everything. Have you seen? They look at the merchandise. It's amazing. Look at it. I guess I see you You brought some along with you. What? What's is this shampoo? Shampoo with Harrison's name on. Whiskey with Harrison's name on. Whiskey. Look, look at this one. It's a kite. A kite. With his face on. This is a miniature log cabin, look. Look, a little Harrison doll sitting in there. You pour the lever on his back, he drinks the hard cider. This is ridiculous. How on earth did they come up with this? But we have ideas. Yes, Gerald, we have ideas. They're not very good, are they? Look at this. Bubbles. Bubbles. Bubble machine. You you, you dip it in the liquid. Yes. You lift it out. Yes. And you blow. That's that's wonderful, Gerald, but how's that helping? Look, one's on your nose. How's it helping, Gerald? We could inscribe each bubble with Van Buren's name. Can I ask who invited Gerald again? I'm about this close to giving up, lads. I I just don't see a way forward. (gasps) What? I've got it. What? He's got big balls. Where, Where are you going with this, Gerald? Well... Gerald, no. I also... No. Have... No, Gerald, no, no. You were, warned, what did, you were warned about this last week. You're just not welcome here if you're going to do that. Just put it away, man. <laughs> that, that's Big Ben. <laughs> I think we've gone too far.
I think you'll find it's the Elizabeth Tower. <laughs> I wasn't built by then, was it? Um, it's built in the 1800s. Yeah, no, that's a good point. 1840s, 1860s, something like that. You have no idea, do you? It's mid-1800s. Okay. Okay, you're Googling it. I'm going to pick a year. I'm going to say 1847. What are you saying? Uh, 1847. I'm going to say, I'm checking yeah. I'm going to say 1860. Okay. I think that's too late, actually. 18, no, 1830. 1830. Yeah. So you've gone before my... Yes. Okay, you're saying 1830, I'm saying 1847. It, so, Palace of was destroyed in 1834. Right. And was rebuilt in 1844. Yeah. And the massive bell was made. Um, Big Ben first rang out of Westminster on the 31st of May, 1859. You should have stuck with your 1860. I should have done, yeah. <laughs> you really should have I done. I really should have done. So I still won. You always win, it's fine. <laughs> I'm not bitter. No. It's not about winning. No. No, get on. 